Good to be with you all this morning. Um, if you have a Bible, turn to John 1, and that is where we are going to be this morning. My name is Ben, I'm the leaders here, um, and it's great to be with you this morning. If, you, um, if you're new to the church, and if you, maybe this is the first time you step inside a church building, and you do not own a Bible, then there should be a Bible in front of you um, in the pew, so take that, that is our gift to you. But, but turn with me to John 1, if that is where we're going to be this morning from verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man at several bodies, named as John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh, and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son, from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the light that is in your word. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us. And Lord, we pray now as we open up your word, help us to see what's really there. Bless us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're joining us for the first time, we've been walking through a series in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is chronologically the last book of the Old Testament. And it represents the final chapter, as it were, of the historical narrative of the Old Testament. And what we see, as, as the story of the Bible unfolds, God in His grace, He creates humanity in His presence where there is life and abundance. And what we see is that humanity rejects God's good and righteous rule, sin enters in, and God, because He is holy and just and cannot look on sin, He sends humanity away from His presence. Where they walk in darkness, where there is death, there is brokenness and all sorts of distortion. And what we see is that God in His grace stops at nothing to bring a people back into His presence. And so we see, as we read through the Bible, we see the building of the tabernacle, the tent, the place that represents the dwelling place of God, and then we see the temple. And if you, if you trace the story, what we see over and over and over again is that humanity rebels against God rejecting his laws, pushing the presence of God away. 
And then what God does is because of the sins of his people, he brings them under his judgment to show them just how far they've gone. The people going into exile, the city of Jerusalem, ends up in ruins and the temple is destroyed, totally obliterated. And of course what we've seen is that God being the God, God of grace, what does he do? He raises up a man called Nehemiah who begins to rebuild the walls of the city with the hope that the people of God are rebuilt and restoration comes in. Now I just want to throw out a spoiler alert here. Because Nehemiah, what happens is he gets to the end, if we get to the end of the book, he get, Nehemiah gets to the end of the work, and when everything is finished, and you're thinking, okay, this could be it. This could be, uh, this could be the restoration of God's people in the presence of God. But what we see is what happens is Nehemiah takes a final tour around the city. He sees the temple being neglected, God's rules being ignored, and he basically gets to the end and says, Lord, I tried. I tried. I tried my best. Lord, I tried my best. And then what happens is 400 years of silence. No word of God comes through any prophet. And there is a felt darkness among the people of God. Felt darkness. And sometime before, one of the prophets, Isaiah, he spoke at this period, this time of darkness. And with a vision of the future, he said this, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. And then what did we read just here in John 1? There was a man sent from God, his name was John, he came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. See, Christmas isn't about presents. It's not about decorating trees. It's not about mince pies and mob wine. These are all lovely things in my house. Christmas is about becoming the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is what Christmas is about. And so what we read in the, in the beginning uh, of the Gospels, as we enter the Christmas season, every single year is that John the Baptist arrives on the scene preparing the way of the Lord. And he arrives on the scene breaking the 400 years of silence. He was a man sent from God to bear witness about the Lord Jesus Christ. And now John, the writer of this gospel, and I just clarify, he is not the same as John the Baptist, so, so John the writer of this gospel, he says, these words are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. So you might consider yourself a Christian this morning. Maybe you attend church regularly. Maybe this is your first time stepping into a church building. But either way, my question for you this morning is who do you believe Jesus is? Who do you believe Jesus is? Because whether you consider yourself a believer of the Lord Jesus or not, John tells us that what we believe about who Jesus is determines whether or not we have life. 
And so John writes his gospel for those who don't know Jesus, but he's also writing it for those who do, because to know life is this, to know the Lord Jesus um, of the Bible and to keep walking in the knowledge of who he is. That's why John writes this gospel. Now, I used to, um, I used to work in a coffee shop in town, um, and during that time, I had just loads of conversations with people from all sorts of walks of life, and actually from people all over the world. And so on our staff team, we had, we had um, guys that were from Poland, we had guys that were from Spain, we had guys from China, we had guys from England, we had guys from Liverpool, another country in somewhere. And so, so whenever, whenever the conversation moved towards talking about Jesus, the most common thing that someone would object to wouldn't be whether Jesus existed or not. So most people could handle that, but more often than not, what people would say is this, I can believe that Jesus existed, I can believe, I can even believe that Jesus was a good person. And I can even believe that we can learn something from Jesus, but this is what I cannot believe. I cannot believe that Jesus was God. I cannot believe that Jesus was God himself. And what's often read around Christmas time is we, we think about the birth of Jesus. We see this uh, in, in Matthew's Gospel, we see this in Luke's Gospel, is the genealogy of Jesus, right? So that, that whole list of names, that we can't pronounce half the names on the list, this name that plots Jesus in time as coming uh, down a line of generations upon generations upon generations of God's people. And we read, and we read that because Jesus is identified in the history of Israel as the coming king, the coming prophet, the coming Messiah, and as he entered the world, he came at a specific point in time, right? We read that as we read the Gospels. But what's significant um, is, is John's purpose for writing this Gospel, so that people would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing they may have life in his name. And so John's audience is all people. He wants his Jewish brothers and sisters to know that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, but he also wants non-Jewish people to know who Jesus is too. And so John, he starts in a totally different place to the other Gospels, not because he disagrees that Jesus is the Messiah, he, he, but he agrees with that. That's right, Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus came at a specific point in history. But the reason he starts where he does is because he wants both Jews and non-Jews to have total clarity on who Jesus is. And John recognizes that the biggest blocker that, uh, to someone believing in Jesus isn't whether Jesus existed, whether he was actually born. It isn't whether he was born in the life of David. There are records for that. That's the genealogies that show that. But for both Jews and non-Jews, the biggest blocker to being a follower of Jesus is the claim that Jesus is God. Because if Jesus is God, the implications of what he says are enormous, huge. And so what John does is he starts by saying this, Jesus has no genealogy. And he says that because firstly, he is eternal. Look at verse 1. In the beginning was. In the beginning was the Word. Before time existed, 
Jesus was there. And, and what John's doing is he's making a direct link to the opening words of the Bible. What, what are the first words in the Bible? In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. Before the world was made, God existed. And God was there. He was always there and will always be. Existing in perfect together as Father, Son, and Spirit. Three distinct persons, yet one God. God exists as a perfect community, Father, Son, Spirit, perfect love and union, and union. And John is saying that Jesus was right there in the midst of it. He was right there in the midst of it. The second person of the Trinity, the Word, Jesus is the eternal Son of God. He is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no genealogy. He always existed, always has, and always will. He is eternal. He is also the Word. Again, look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. And, and what John is doing, John is alluding to two things, I think, at the same time. He's saying here that Jesus is the Word of God, right? So that the voice of God that comes all the way throughout the Old Testament. So straight away, those who know the Scriptures will be aware of the fact that Jesus, that John says He is the Word. He is saying that the, He's referring to the fact that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. So think about, think about when we speak, what happens when we speak, when we use words, we reveal, right, what's going on in our heads. We reveal maybe what our thoughts are, we reveal our will, we reveal our purpose, all these different things. Um, but in a similar way, and actually in a perfect way, God speaks, and His character, His purposes, His, His, His will is revealed. Psalm 33 says, By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all the host. And so John is saying, the word of God, God the Son, Jesus is the revealing of God, God's ultimate self-revelation. As Psalm 119 says, forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. This revealing of God is, is, is so with God that he identifies with the eternal nature of God. He is with God. That's the language that John uses. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Not only was the Word of God there, but the Word of God exists as an eternal person. He was in the beginning with God. And so John is tapping in to that understanding, right? But he's also simultaneously tapping into an understanding that the Greeks would have had around the time that John was writing among the Gentiles. And that word, that the word is the word logos, which is the term that they use uh, about to talk about the idea of reason that is all throughout the universe. That, 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 we, that we live in this world, but there is a rational structure and order that just runs through the whole thing. And, and John says, well, what, what you sense is actually there, and it's found in a person, and that person is God himself. I love Neil's testimony, and one of the reasons I love Neil's testimony is that he just tells his life how it is. But if you notice, the way that he tells the story, he says, God brought me to this place. God did this. God showed me this. God brought me this person. He looks at life and he says, you know what? It's behind everything that I've experienced in life is a creator and his name is God. And I, and I love that. And, that, and that's, that's what John is saying. John's saying the, 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 in the beginning was the Word, and that Word is a person, that Word is the creator of the universe, which, which we also see in verse 3. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Not only does the Son of God have no beginning, not only is he the Word of God, God's self-revelation, found in a person, but he is also not created. He is the Creator. And what we see in verses is a progression. John takes us back to before creation. And he says, God existed, Father, Son, and Spirit, in perfect relationship, a loving community. That is the one true God. And the word who, who John is talking about is right in the midst of that. He's the Son of God. And the word we saw, the word we saw is God's revealing of himself. The revealing of his character, his nature, his will, his purposes. And then, as a total overflow of God's revealing nature, what does God do? God creates. He creates. But it's interesting. It's not like the Word of God creates apart from God the Father and apart from God the Spirit. But the Father, along with the Spirit, creates through the Son all things. He brings the universe into, into being. But God the Son, the eternal Word of God, carried out the order to command, so to speak. The, the, the order or the command, so to speak. He carried out the Son was there in creation. So in the world, so in the world we live, everything we see reveals to us things about God, who He is, His nature, His beauty. Psalm 19 says the heavens declare the glory of the Lord and the sky above proclaims the work of His hands. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is the Creator. But Jesus is also the life. Look at verse 4. In him was life. Now, on one level, we're thinking, okay, that's obvious, right? The creator of the universe is clearly the one who has life. He created life, that life is in him. But what is interesting, uh, John uses a word here for life, which, which isn't the word that we might use in a normal sense. And, and, the, and the, the, reason, the way he does it, there are two, there are two Greek words. Okay, the first one is bios, which means life, physical life, earthly life, where we get the word biology. And then the second word John uses is the word zoe, where we get the name zoe. Okay, and, and zoe is the word that actually describes a fullness in life, a fullness. Now, fullness for me at the minute. For me and my wife, is is the, these are rare moments, but it's, it's the moment when our two-year-old daughter and our three-month-old son, at the same time, are asleep. I've done that often, maybe more for my wife at the minute because I can lock myself away in a room and write a sermon. <laughs> but but, but, but they, they're the moments where we're like, oh, this is what it is to live. <laughs> this is what life's like. Now, just to clarify, I do love my kids. I love my kids. But there are moments of really that that is and, and so and that, so what John is really saying here is life is in God, life that is eternal, life that has fullness, not just the life that we have as human beings as being alive, but fullness of life. Um, and, and he says that in him, in the word, in Jesus was the life, and the life was the light of men, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so what we see is that God in His goodness creates as an overflow of His life. He 
creates humanity in his image, who have life within them, who share in his life. God gives them rules about how to live well in the land. And John says the life of men was, was, uh, was seeing and knowing this life. That this life, the life in God, meant that they could see. They could make sense of the world that we live in. There is safety in the life that they had in God. And like a light in a dark place, when you turn it on, the light, the darkness can't overcome it. Darkness cannot overcome it. You turn the light on, darkness is gone. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the word. Jesus is the creator. He is also the light. But what we see when we read the story of the Bible is that from the beginning, humanity rejects this life. They reject God's good rule and they turn to the darkness of being away from God's presence, away from the fullness of life that is in God. And when John talks about Jesus being the true light, into the world, what's He does that because Jesus himself said, I am the light of the world. the light of the world because he shows us 
where life is found. Where is life found? Life is found in God. And so Jesus steps into the world saying, I am the light of the world. Look to me and you will know where life is found. It is found in God. But what John is also showing us is, is the reality that there is darkness that we experience in this life, right? There's darkness that we experience in this life. And the darkness, that darkness is everything that is outside and against the life found in Jesus. That darkness means there are those who are in darkness even though the light still shines. So if you look at verse 10, well, well, what, what do we see? We see... We see he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. So Jesus, he came into the world, as John says, and he, he didn't enter the world from being a place where he wasn't present in the world. Let me say that again. Jesus entered the world and he, and he didn't enter the world from being in a place where he wasn't present in the world. He was in the world. That's what it says. It says he was in the world and the world was made through him. Jesus was and has been visible in his world from the beginning. He has. So let me put, let me put this in a different way. Just because we can't see something, right, doesn't mean it's not there. Right? So, so just because we can't see something also doesn't mean we don't have the ability to see something. See, it says in Romans, let me read this from Romans, it says this, what, what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. And Paul goes on in Romans and he says, he says, humanity exchanges the truth about God for a lie and worships and serves the creature rather than the creator. The reason that we don't see God isn't because he's not there. He is there, it says that. It isn't ultimately because we don't have the ability to see God, it's because something happens deep within us, every single day, every single moment in this life, as we see God through creation or in the truth of his word that basically says, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna ignore that. That's not true. I don't want that, I don't want God, I want this. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. That is the darkness that Isaiah was talking about. Even the people of God who God had delivered out of, the, uh, out of the place of slavery and given the law in the land, they rejected God and what happened? They were thrust into deep, deep darkness. That's the darkness that Isaiah was talking about. Jesus is the light that reveals life. But Jesus is the light that is greater than darkness. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, you get the sense here uh, that the darkness seems on the front foot. I don't know about you, I read that. The, dark, the darkness has not overcome them, the light, right? But the implication of that is that darkness is surrounding the light and trying to do everything it can to put the light out, but it's not getting anywhere. But one of the most common objections to Christianity is this, right? If, if God exists, 
Why does God allow suffering? Why does God allow evil in this world? And whether or not we think we know the answer to that question, what, what this question does highlight is the truth that God does allow evil and suffering in this world. Because what we see is, no, no matter how much darkness, no matter how thick that darkness is, or how much it moves towards the light in an attempt to put the light out, darkness can never overcome light. And so what we're seeing here is that all the light would have to do is light up the darkness so the darkness is no more. Like when you go into a dark room, you turn on the light, boom, the darkness is gone. But what we see here is that God in his wisdom and in his kindness, he hasn't done that. He hasn't, he hasn't got rid of the darkness. He hasn't overcome it. His light hasn't overcome the darkness fully. We see that. In fact, what happens is he allows the darkness to attempt to overcome him, but it gets nowhere. And it's not that God can't overcome it, it's that God hasn't overcome it. He has allowed darkness, in some sense, to push back. And I think we see that here. The darkness that kicks back against God in every way hasn't been removed. God could remove the darkness in one moment by saying, let there be light and the darkness would be gone. Sin at the source of all brokenness, pain and suffering, darkness itself hasn't been removed. And the reason for that is that John says this in verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. Jesus is the light that enters the darkness. From verse 9, the true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. Jesus Christ, the light of the world, was coming into a world in darkness in order to rescue sinners out of darkness. See, the men and women that God himself, the Son of God had created, rejected him. And God, in his grace, allowed them to reject him. Reject him. The Holy One of God, who cannot look on sin, instead of making an end to the darkness, the moment we rebel, what he did is he took it upon himself. And like a dam that holds water in, God withholds the judgment that sin and darkness rightly deserves. And he shows us that by coming into the world in such a way that, didn't put, that he didn't put out the darkness. And Jesus, Jesus himself says this, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So I can't stand here and tell you every reason for why God allows evil and suffering in this world. But one thing I do know is this, in God's sovereignty over evil and suffering, he allowed it to enter his good creation, knowing that he would somehow experience it for himself. Not that God ever sinned, he never will, never has done, but the good news of Christmas, the good news of the eternal Son becoming flesh and entering 
into his creation is that God is so loving towards us that he is willing to enter into the darkness. That's why John says the light entered the darkness of our world. That's why God withheld his judgment against sin. That's why God allowed darkness to have a place in his world for a time. Why? Because he was waiting to step in. He was waiting to step in. The light of the world took us in our darkness upon himself on the cross. That's where judgment came down. He entered our darkness to bring some of us out. Jesus is the light that enters the darkness and Jesus is the life that brings new life. Read with me from verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, there are two options for us in life. Either we receive the life Either we receive the light of the world, we receive Jesus, or we reject him. We either receive him, or we reject him. And what John says here, is that those who believe in him, who receive him, are those who were born not of blood, or of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, the problem we have in our sinfulness is that we cannot believe. We can't. That's why John says, man has nothing to do with being born again. It's of God. See, if believing led us to be born again, well, that would be the will of the flesh. <laughs> ultimately, ultimately that would be the will of the flesh bringing about something. Yes, belief is involved in us being born again, but being born of, of God is ultimately of God. It is God who brings that about. And so what does John say later in those verses? He says, we have seen his glory. We've seen the light. So how did John get there? In the same breath, he says this, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, for in order for us to see the light, to believe, we need life. In him was life, it says, and the life was the light of men. His life is what brings us into the light. His life is what, his life is our light. It's not actually that we, that we see Jesus and then we're made alive. We're made alive ultimately because of Jesus. And that is what opens our eyes to see the light. So ultimately, if you're a follower of Jesus, it is because Jesus, the light of the world, came into our darkness and he brought life with him. He brought life with him that we've been made alive and that we can now see. And so, so Jesus entering the world isn't just about him bringing light into the world, it's so that he can make those who are in darkness and, in, and dead in, our, in their sin alive. And so what John is saying is, is that the reason he and others have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ is because the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is what Christmas is all about. The life came to us. 
The light of the world entered the darkness. The light who reveals where life is brings life with him. Jesus entered the darkness of sin and death so much that he brought the life that was in God to us whilst we were dead in darkness and without hope. The light of life entered the darkness in order to bring us out. The eternal word of God, without ceasing to be God, added to himself the nature of humanity so that in the one person of Jesus, fully God and fully man, by being crucified for sins he did not commit and living a life, perfect life, on our behalf, could be the one who entered the darkness of God's wrath only to be raised from the dead because he is life and God cannot die so that he could bring us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Jesus didn't just show us the way to life like a man with a torch pointing to the exit. What Jesus did is enter the cave, saw us dead and helpless at the bottom, and he went in after us, threw us over his shoulders, and carried us all the way out. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. And so Jesus is the light of the world that brings new life, and it's that new life which enables us to see. Which brings me to my last point. Jesus is the light that opens our eyes. We see that in verse 14. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Because Jesus entered our darkness and died in our place, given us new life, we, as brothers and sisters of this church, can now see. That's what happened to John. So John, John was born again, and being born again, he saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul puts it this way, uh, talking about how people receive the gospel. And he says this in 2 Corinthians, even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. There are those who don't see the light of Jesus, and they are dead, perishing. And then there are those who God says over them, let there be light. He breathes life back into them, and the life is the light of men, so they see Jesus for who he is. So as we head into this Christmas season, look to where real hope is found. Look to Christ. Look to Christ because it's through Christ that we are born again. It's through Christ we can see, that we can make sense of life, that we have life. Therefore, look to Christ. But look to Christ and know that you are a child of God. You are a child of the Lord. That's the language that, that John uses. A child, a child who lives and walks in the light, which means, although that we do live in a world 
that is in darkness, you can know for sure that because the light of Christ will never be put out, that darkness will never overcome you. Why? Because you are in Him. So sin, evil, suffering, grief, pain, the devil, anxiety, depression, all the things in this life that often feel like they're pushing back against you, know this, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You are in him, you are saved, look to him. And one day, Jesus will say this one final time, let there be light. And in one moment, darkness will no longer be something that we experience. For those who look to Christ. Because it says in Revelation about the time to come, it says it in Revelation 22, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So look to Christ. Look to Christ and know that you are a child of God. Know that you are a child in the light. Finally, look to Christ as you witness to Christ. We follow the pattern of John the Baptist. Why, why did John the Baptist come? He was not the light. But he came to bear witness about the light. And Jesus, sometime after, says to his followers, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So let's let the, the, the light of Christ shine through us as we bear witness to it. Just like Neil had done earlier this morning, let, let the light of Christ shine through us as we bear witness in, as we spend time with our friends, with our family, with our neighbours, knowing that at any point, God might say, let there be light. Let me pray. Father, we thank you and we praise you for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he is the life and he is the light. And we thank you that Jesus was willing to step into the darkness of this world to take on our sin, our rejection of you, and that by dying in our place and being raised from the dead, as we look to him, we have newness of life. So we thank you for that. And Lord, we thank you that by your grace, by making us alive, by making us and transforming us into children of light, you by your grace are using us to proclaim that light to those around us who are perishing. So Lord, we ask that you would use us to save people into your kingdom. Help us know what it is to be to walk as children of the light, so that we would walk in the joy of knowing that the Lord is for us, who or what can be against us. So help us in that we pray. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we are safe in him. And we pray that we will be mindful of that um, as we worship you in song. In Jesus' name, amen.